Appalachia, the word that evokes a whole passel of reactions. Everything from the beauty of a mountaintop to trailer parks, drugs, and about everything in between. The Appalachian Mountains are indeed the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air. They stretch from eastern Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The folks who live in these mountains have faced an unending number of tragic and just plain odd happenings that cry out for the telling. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and I was born and raised in these very mountains by a family who themselves were born, raised, and lived for generations in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. Come with me and we'll take a look at some of the unending stories that come from within my beloved mountains. And we'll look through the eyes of an old Appalachian at some outside the area as well. Welcome to Season 4 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Howdy, my good friends. Hope you're doing well today, and thank you so much for stopping by to help me kick off season four today. Now, you've heard me say it before, that probably the hardest thing to deal with is just not knowing something. Lately, you know, here a while back, we saw the case of Madeline McCann come back into the news again. It's a case that folks just can't let go of because there just ain't an explanation of exactly what happened to little Madeline. I can only imagine how her parents must feel. We, as thinking, feeling human beings, just have a hard time not having answers to things like that, especially when those answers involved our loved ones. Now, lately there's been some progress made on that, as some folks, you know, have gotten some answers as to what happened to their loved ones. You know, might have come decades later, you know, from when it, what happened to them actually happened to them, but... You know, that's a trend as, you know, that you and I both, I think, will probably like to see continue. Provided they actually are getting real answers and not some dirt bag might kind of get in there and try to re- abuse the reverse family tree DNA type searches that they're using to find out this stuff. I believe that there won't be many people who trust them anymore if that ever happens, at least not for a long time. So come on in and take a load off. Let me tell you one that started two days before my mother's 14th birthday that left folks still wondering just uh, what the heck happened. Folks, it was late in the evening of March 3rd, 1956, with a good rain on when Two brothers named Billy Howard and Robert Earl Dye, along with their older cousin Dan Brasher, left the house in a rural backwoods of northern Jefferson County, Alabama. They drove off in Billy's 1947 Green Ford. Being it was Saturday night, and the boys were known to like to have themselves a good time, they were headed for a party in Robinwood, which is just a little bit outside Morris. This is all just north of Birmingham, Alabama, which if you've ever been down that way, turns real country real quick as you head out of Birmingham. In fact, you can be out in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains of Alabama before you even know it if you ain't paying attention. Back in 1956, there was a good bit more moonshine running going on all over the mountains in several states 
you know, than there is now. Uh, well, let's just say as far as anybody knows. The hills and hollers that made up the border of Jefferson and Blount County in Alabama were exactly what moonshiners looked for when they wanted a place to run off a few gallons. As we've talked about before, the moonshine business wasn't just a way of life for mountain folks. A lot of times it was their means of survival and livelihood. And to get out there and mess with somebody else's juice was a good way to end up on the business end of a shotgun full of rock salt. Well, at least rock salt, depending on just how hard a criminal one might cross. Could be a whole lot worse than that. Now, that being said, the boys were known to do a little bit of bootlegging themselves. And they were very aware of the unwritten code of the moonshiner, which is pretty much F around and find out. Now, word had it, uh, though, that uh, about every now and then the boys might sneak off with a quarter of somebody's private stash. Of course, there was no proof of any of that, just the words of local folks, which seemed to be the exact thoughts of law enforcement back then as well. Now, when the Dye brothers and cousin Brasher did come home the or didn't come home the next day there wasn't a lot of concern at first not even their families got worried for you know because of why because the boys you know they probably could really put away the moonshine back then and maybe somebody else was having a drink with them and they just got carried away and now when you live in a small town like that trust me when i tell you that word gets around pretty quick so the Families had already heard that the boys were pretty tore down the night before, and pretty much everybody thought that they were sleeping off a granddaddy of a hangover somewhere, and maybe even a, in a jail cell somewhere, too. But there was no word from any of them, and several days went to pass, and figuring that they surely by then somebody would have sent word if somebody needed bail money or would already have been out and back. Their cousin Curtis Brasher and his father checked all the 12 jails between Morris and Decatur, and nobody knew nothing. At that point, the family filed a missing persons report with the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department. Now, being that this was the Appalachian Mountains and all, investigators first off slammed into a brick wall of silence, as most government officials do when they go into a small mountain community asking too many questions. Any outsider showing up in the middle of folks going on about your day in the hills is automatically looked on as a possible threat until it gets to be known that they ain't. Now, that especially goes for anybody wearing any kind of government identification. Eventually, somebody told somebody that somebody had heard gunshots being fired on the night of the disappearance in a neighbor of the Robin Wood house where the boys went to get down there with their bad selves said that they saw men carrying buckets of water from an outdoor faucet, which would be a well or uh, maybe a spring, into the house in the early morning hours of March 4th, kind of like they might have been cleaning up some kind of mess. Mess possibly meaning blood, teeth, hair, and eyes. Well, while it was pretty easy feat to run outside and grab a bucket of water, run back in with it, it wasn't at all normal to do it over and over again in the middle of the night. Now, why run outside, you might ask? Well, like I said, many folks in the mountains didn't have any running water and relied on a spring or well, which was outside the house. My grandfather never had running water and didn't want it. 
He carried his water from a spring just outside his cabin until the day he died. Yes, it was the same spring he used to run off his home brew for years, too. Now, they weren't just going in and out with buckets of water. They formed what's called a bucket brigade, where they all line up and pass buckets of water along the line as fast and as hard as they could draw them up. And this happened at 2 o'clock in the morning. Odd to say the least, not long after that, several men bailed out the front door of the house carrying pickaxes and shovels and piled into two cars, one of which was Billy's Ford. The first car came back after a while as the witness watched the men pile out of, the, uh, out of it like clowns from a Volkswagen, and the green Ford along with the boys were never seen again. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, folks, it wasn't long before an employee of a nearby store crawled up out of the woodwork and told authorities that a man had come into his store just after the boys disappeared asking for anything that might get blood out of a hardwood floor. And the clerk recommended Red Devil Life, which the man bought. He didn't say it, but I bet he bought a nice new full of brush to go with it. Full of brushes were the cotton-picking rage of the age back in and could scrub the hair off a hog. But the family and the police did write much poking around and searching. They found fresh dirt where there was some digging took place in the place called Horse Branch Hill area but they found it out pretty quick that it was a contractor who'd been digging for some reason or another. And then they heard that there might be bodies in an old abandoned mine shaft, which was flooded. They drained it out and pulled out a clump of hair, which didn't match any of the three boys. Then somebody found a skeleton in the woods, which police didn't believe was either of the boys, but the family did. They believed it was Ronnie Brasher, or Robbie Brasher, because the body was wearing a belt buckle that his mother had fixed for him with the wire, and I gotta say, that's pretty convincing when somebody somebody recognizes something that pretty unique, but uh, anyway, I just begs the question, too, uh, you know, they pumped a wad of hair out of a mine shaft, uh, uh, just uh, whose hair was it? Are there how many more people missing that nobody knows about? After all, you know, not everybody living in the mountains was born with any official records. That's just the way it was back in. But I digress. I'm just uh, looking at it through the eyes of an Appalachian. But one of the statements they got really piqued her interest. Again, somebody said that a Blount County man had seen a bulldozer being used to bury a car in the construction site for a U.S. Highway 79 was being built. The, the, the area that we're talking about here is a section of U.S. 79 somewhere between Birmingham and Cleveland, Alabama. Now that's a pretty good stretch of blacktop to search and try to find a buried car. Lucky enough, the somebody that made the statement said that the location was near Penson, which narrowed it down a bit. But digging up a new built highway would cost something fierce and to be able to do that, police had better dang well know that they're going to find something uh, or they'd be in a whole lot of trouble if they went out there and dug it up for nothing. Now, frustrated by what he thought to be the lack of interest from any county officials, 
Curtis Brasher, the cousin of the missing boys, started up a letter-writing campaign to involve state officials. He also fired up his own investigation, which he kept going until his death in the 1980s. Mr. Brasher's effort resulted in Sheriff Hope McDowell assigning a deputy named Tom Ellison to the case in the 1970s. Uh, About the time that Deputy Ellison was given the case, the Alabama Department of Public Safety started drilling on U.S. 79, looking for any trace of Billy's 1947 Ford or maybe the bodies. By the time this happened, it was into the 70s, like I said, and time and time again, nothing panned out but the story that uh, the three were buried in Ford somewhere under the highway really took hold of the public, and they weren't about to let it go. Now, three years later, the U.S. Navy brought in their metal detectors to go over the highway. When the detectors indicated large pieces of metal were below the site, the county commissioner ordered another dig. They found a whole heap of scrap metal, but no car and no boys. Then in 1984 came what was thought to be a big break in the case. An ex-convict from Louisiana named T.J. Chambly confessed to about everybody that would listen, or he could back in the corner and talk to, that he participated in murdering the boys, saying that he just wanted to clear his conscience now. Now, Mr. Chambly said that he helped dispose of the bodies and the ford in an abandoned mine near Trafford. But when local authorities went down to Louisiana to question Mr. Chambly, it sounded like he was making it all up because it was so inconsistent that they knew it couldn't have happened that way. Well, let's just hope they're right. I'd say about any lead you could find would need to be checked out, but eh, I'm just a podcaster. What the hell do I know? Now, Deputy Ellison said back in the 1970s that Sheriff McDowell pulled him off the case because he was getting too close to solving it. O.M. Raines, a state investigator involved in the case, said that the boys were buried under U.S. 79. A total of three witnesses finally came out of the woodwork and said that they saw a car being buried beneath the construction site on Highway 79, and another witness near the site said that they heard a bulldozer operating all night long the night the boys disappeared. Mr. Rain's theory was that the Dye brothers were killed in the Robin Wood party and that Mr. Brasher was murdered a few days later after being forced to get rid of the uh, Dye boys along with the perpetrators and that Mr. Brasher was buried in the Morris area cemetery and like Deputy Ellison, Detective Rains was convinced that the sheriff slowballed the investigation because of the department ties in the local to local bootleggers now of course there those are allegations and they were never proved now more than 60 years after all three boys just melted into the mountains their case is the oldest active case for the cold case squad in jefferson county in fact the jefferson county sheriff's department still receives tips about the boys if the tips seem viable they'll go check them out according to captain steve green head of the squad one recent tipster had evidence that the car was buried along US-31 near Gardendale. The deputy spent several days out there traversing around the grounds and with the specialized radar again. And again, they found squat. Theories regarding the disappearance range from the boys being murdered at the party to an execution-style shooting at a Blount County cave. 
the few strands of human hair fished out of an abandoned coal shaft did lead to speculation that the man had been dumped there, but the one constant in every theory was that the moonshine played a pivotal role. Now everybody is still waiting. Folks, I hope you got something out of our story today. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to go through something like that or go on with life after something like that happened. Folks, if you like the podcast, throw us a rate and review on whatever podcatcher you're listening on. Come on over to Facebook group Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast where we talk Appalachian or about anything else you want to bring up. I'll be back real soon with another Appalachian murder mystery or legend, and I'll see you then.